You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. I'm your co-host, Aaron McAteer, other co-host. You may have seen him walking out of a great clips with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is the one, the only Scott Bowie. How's Hello, it going, Aaron? Uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. So this is our 2021 Indy 500 recap show. Um, we have a great guest, um, actually a member from the Meyer Shank um, racing team that was part of um, Elio's crew. And he is the, I believe, the tire guy. Yeah, he's tire guy. And uh, he's, uh, he's a huge fan of motorsports to begin with. Uh, Scott has been around auto racing for a very long time. Um, I got to know him actually because he was a UPS man. And when I had my business, he would come in and deliver packages. And, Not really that. And um, one of these days, we're going to have him back, and we're going to let Absolutely. him tell, tell you know, we, we can really start telling some stories, and Scott's got them. Uh, but we tried to stay as much focused on the 500 as we could uh, in speaking with him. So, yeah, he's, he's going to be a really great guest. And how about that 500, right? Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you where you sat during the race, but by looking at you, I can rule it down to either the either the second turn, third turn, or fourth turn, because you have a nice suntan on your nose right now. Oh, I, so I think I, it's called a burn. I think it's called a burn. burn. Yeah, that, that's what I was looking for. So we know you definitely were not on the front stretch um, on the outside of the track. Well, I've the got, I, I have a really nice little... Uh, I wouldn't say it's a private area because there's a couple thousand people sitting around me, but uh, it's how I like to do things. It's pretty low key, and uh, our buddy Chin and uh, Robin and I, for the last three, four years, have went to the race, and and uh, we have a great parking spot, and we're kind of in and out pretty quick. Although we did not leave quickly after this when we had to stay for the celebration. Oh, absolutely. It, uh, man, just what a day. Um, you know, auto racing is kind of funny, especially a long auto race, because they do get to a point when they start stretching out. And, of course, it's a 200-lap race, 500 miles. You're not going to run hard in the first, you know, 250 miles, 350 miles. You know, if you, you, know, you, can, you can't win it in the beginning, but, boy, you can sure lose it. Right, and and th- th- I would be if I was a driver, I'd be very hesitant. Like you know, I was excited for Renus VK. You know, I really like Renus VK. He's a great. I mean, he's probably one of the nicest drivers in the paddock. Um, always super cool. You know, great driver. And you know, I was excited when he was leading in in the front. But you know, you you have to realize it's a long race, and I, I would like to see the stats on how many times a driver who led the first like ten laps actually won the race. Wow, that's a great question. I I don't know what that stat would be, but it probably, it'd probably be very question. it'd probably be very surprising, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think I would want and in you kind of in hindsight looking back, I mean I think Elio, I mean he he could have probably easily led half that race, but you know I think he's well aware of kind of what we were just talking about, and he knew, um, you know he needed to kind of just kind of lay back, and I, I think he was able to conserve fuel and some other stuff by doing that. Yeah, he, he was pretty smart. What did he start? He started. Uh, did he start seventh? Is that where he started? I know he's something in the like that. Top, yeah, I think third row. I believe he started. I think he started inside the third row, which would be seventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly got up to fifth, 
stayed fifth, sixth for a long time. And then all of a sudden he was in fourth. And, uh, you know, and that was after what, maybe 25 laps, something like that. All of a sudden he decided he was going to pick up a couple of spots. And, uh, and from that point on, I don't know what the farthest he ever dropped back was, but it wasn't much farther than that. Even cycling through pit stops. And, uh, like David Lane called it, uh, yes. or before, you know, when we did our, our pre-race show, uh, he had been the most consistent car all month, and he sure was the most consistent car on race day. Um, and it was it was a very impressive win. And and if anybody watches the replay, I forget what group of laps it is, but if you watch the replay, you'll see him behind Alex. And if you watch the throttle tracker, he's running half throttle. He'd make a run on him, then just settle in, run half throttle, and before they get to the corner, he'd run flat out. And he he was starting to set up Alex. A minimum, I, I forget how many laps they ran together. I'll say 50 laps. You know, it could be more, could be less. But, um, and he was starting to set him up from that point. Right. And as I mentioned, um, when we were talking to to our guest Scott here in a little bit, when we play it, um, I listened to an interview with Michael Shank. And, you know, Michael Shank was even like, I don't know what Elio's doing right now. Like, why is he doing this? And that just shows, like, how smart Elio is and, how well he knows that track and, you know, how well he knows the strategy. I mean, that's, and you know, when it came down to lap 150, like I would have loved to see Alex win. Um, but I, yeah, I just me too. Knew, I mean, when it comes down to someone with that much experience, um, and just knowing, I mean, there's people that just know how to run that track. Elio's definitely one of them. Dan Weldon, another one. Um, I mean, you look how many times that guy finished second, even like Roberto Guerrero, who obviously never won the race, but he finished second, like three or four times. Right. I mean, and, there's some people uh, just know how, just know how to run it. Yeah. And it was, um, it was pretty apparent that Pulu was going to have to find, all right, I, I apologize for butchering his last name, but Alex was going to have to find something that he wasn't showing. Uh, if he was going to continue to stay in front of Alio. Um, but that being said, uh, a lot of great stories in that race. Uh, Connor Daly. Yeah. Man. And, you know, and I know that some people will say, well, that was Connor's luck to have that tire hit him like that. Well, it did as he take said, him out of the race. fell out of the sky. As he said, and it did. Just fell out of the sky. And, he, and he's right. And it did. But the thing it didn't do is it didn't take him out of the race. It, it hurt his chances to win because that, that wing was so damaged, that nose cone was so damaged, it couldn't split, you know, it could not go through the air properly. Uh, and they, why they didn't change that under yeah, that I yellow? I'm, I'm not sure why. There, I guarantee you there's a reason. You know, I just don't know what it is. Um, and maybe but, it takes too long. I mean, how do you know how long it takes to take a wing off? Well, see, they've got that camera in there now, and you got to unhook the camera and, and, and hook it back up. And I've seen that take some time before. Maybe they're afraid of losing a lap. Um, you know, I don't know. I Without talking to somebody in that situation, I'm not sure what um, what happened. But I will say this. So it didn't take him out of the race. He was still able to finish. Uh, and you can look at in glasses, half empty or half full, but I would take that as half full if I'm Connor because he got to finish uh, and he got to prove how strong he was. 
uh, during the race. Uh, and Connor's a guy that unfortunately uh, can be fast all month, and people like me are going to say, well, I don't know on race day. Well, maybe people like me should stop looking at Connor that way and start taking him a little more serious because uh, I oh, actually yeah. did turn to Robin at one point in the race and say to her, hey, this may be Connor's day. And, of course, the tire hit him. I mean, like, within five laps of that. But right. uh, but it, it sure started looking like, hey, this might be Connor's day. And Graham, I mean, obviously got caught up in that same deal. But he, he was someone, and you said this during the podcast, you know, he, he's been there. And I was like, Scott may be right. Um, and and a lot of people were saying that, you know, on his strategy, he would have been up there. Um, well, I didn't realize they had they had figured it out to where they were going to have to make one less stop than everybody else. Oh wow! And that's well, that's why he was so upset because he knew that they had the with that stop they they were uh, going to have to make one less stop than everybody else the rest of the race. Um, if I heard them correctly, if I didn't, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure that's what they said, and I believe that's why he was just so devastated. On top of the fact that he was running good all day and had a wheel come off and I know people are crucifying that tire guy. Oh man. Um, and I don't know what happened. I, I, I can honestly tell you, I don't know why, uh, they just didn't freak out on the radio immediately trying to either game to stop or slow down or something. Um, uh, because they knew it was loose. That, that guy knew that, that, that was loose. And, and some other people on the team had to know too. Um, because the nut come out of the gun, picks the nut up, he puts the nut on, goes to pick up the gun, drops the gun. And when he dropped the gun, yeah, he had to know. When he dropped the gun, that was really the what really hurt him because as he got the gun on the nut, the car was starting to leave the pits. Um, so I don't know. And then he kind of fell forward. Like, as the car took off, he kind of falls forward or sideways toward the car. And, I, I, I mean, he had to be just a devastated person. Oh, I bet. Because you know what's coming. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I, I mean, what a tough break, man. And, and you know, that, that kind of opens up the, the window on, on pit stops, right? Like... And I, again, without talking to anybody who uh, had intimate knowledge of what was happening, it was so strange to have so many brake failures. Um, so for anybody who doesn't understand, you have carbon brakes, carbon, and the pads, I believe, are carbon, or are they, they're made specifically for carbon uh, brakes. Mm-hmm. Carbon brakes, you have to get up to temperature for them to have any... They, you know, because they instantly cool off. A carbon a carbon rotor will instantly cool off, uh, and so you have to get temperature in them for them to work. So it's always been my, but I've always been told you got to drag the brakes a little bit to get temperature in them before you get on the pit road. Well, every one of the drivers who spun, and Ryan Hunter Ray who didn't spin but had a <laughs> exciting trip down pit lane they all said the pedal went to the floor well people would think okay then it just didn't have any you know didn't have any brakes well typically the reason why a pedal would go to the floor is because you've overheated the brakes 
and you've got air in the system and you've got to pump it up. Well, that's not going to be the that's not going to be the situation there because you're never touching the brakes on on a super speedway unless you have a dramatic moment. You're never touching the brakes, and so I the only thing that I wondered is if when because they're mounted on what's called a floating mount, and I wonder if when they mount these or they're mounting them with what would be called a little kickback mm-hmm. where it runs out of. Uh, it just barely runs out of, you know, it doesn't run true plane. It runs a little bit out and, uh, and you, with the object of kicking the pads back. So once they've kicked the pads back, they're not touching the rotor and you're not getting any friction. Um, and I don't know if that's the case or not. That That's the only thing that could really, that really came to my mind um, to have a pedal go to the floor they would have had to, have, in my thought process, had to kick the pads back to where the pistons have moved the fluid away from the caliper, and now you've got to pump it to get fluid back, to get pressure back to the calipers. Right. I know there was someone who got a um, a penalty for speeding in the pits. I, I want to say, was it Hunter Ray? I, oh, I want to yeah. say it was Hunter he, Ray. He came in a million mile an hour. So was that uh, due to the the brakes? He think? said the, he said the pedal went to the floor. Right. Okay. Um, you know, and that was pretty terrifying because Dee Silvestro was on pit road, and she was toward that back there, and you know he was trying to miss cars, and I'm not saying it was close, but I'm telling you as a pit crew member, that would have started getting your heart beating <sighs> a little bit. You know, oh, seeing that car coming. Um, but that to me was very odd. Uh, and then you had Will Power who come in. Essentially, the car was dead on the pace lap, and they had to recycle everything to get to start. Um, and then you had uh, three cars affected. I guess it was just three cars affected by the yellow for the first. With Stephen Wilson had to, he said the pedal went to the floor, and then the rear brake brakes locked up, and it turned him into the fence. He spins on pit road. And which causes yellow, which causes Dixon, Rossi, and Harvey that I know of to be stuck out with the pits closed. And they had to come in emergency stop. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can figure out, and I haven't heard anybody say this, is that Dixon's car and Rossi's car died as they ran out of fuel. And they couldn't get them to restart. Right. And if you notice, they, it almost looked like they took, uh, it, it looked to me, and, and again, I don't know anything about these cars, like they took a plate off the right side of the car and they had a plastic tube that looked like they were doing something maybe in the fuel line or something like that to maybe try to purge air out of it mm-hmm. to get it to start. Um, so it'll start pulling fuel through the system. So, I, and again, you know, there there may be some out there listening who's like, no, you fool. This is what happened. I know exactly what happened. And that's cool. That That's just without knowing the facts of what happened, that's what it looked like to me. Like it, for some reason, it vapor locks or couldn't, it wasn't pulling air. You know, it, it had a lock in the system with air and it wasn't pulling fuel through. So, which, I mean, two of the race favorites, right? I mean, you know, right. which really changed the complexion of that entire race is that they were essentially both done at that point. Going back a little bit to that, the the willpower 
deal before the race even started. Me and my dad were talking about that, and we we have like a scanner so we can listen to the crew and stuff talk. And they just seem really, they seem too calm. Like you know, my dad was like, I wonder if you know if if they did that on purpose just to you know save fuel. Maybe, but boy, I wouldn't think you would have it come in dead like that. Right. I can see you come in and maybe top it off. I don't. I don't know. I just can't see where you have to restart it because they had to hook the cable back okay. up. Okay. Right. They had, if you watch the video board, they put the cable inside the car to recycle the uh, the what I assume would be the brain of the system, which you see this happen, you know, from time to time with those cars. Mm-hmm. Um. But, I mean, I, I have no idea what happened, you know. But that seems to me the more likely scenario. Like, it just had some sort of glitch. You know, they're running, like, Windows 95 and that thing, and they had to just do a hard <laughs> reset or something. But, uh, you know, um, you know. so at that point, it changes the complexion of the race. Um, but... Halo Castroneves, like we talked about, was always there from that point. And you did have Connor Daly, you know, who was extremely strong. And you had Alex, who did a, a great job running up front. Once he got to the front, he stayed up front. Um, VK, I thought would be a little stronger, kind of faded. Uh, Herta, yeah. same way. I, I really felt from those early laps that Herta would be somebody to really contend with and, and they must've lost the balance somewhere or maybe a pit stop caught him out or, or something of that nature. Um, Oh yeah. The other car that has speeding penalty was a uh, Scott McLaughlin. Oh, Oh yeah. He had, he had a speeding penalty too, but, uh, you know, something lost in, in all the, with Halo winning and the four time and everybody was so excited. When you watch that race again, and I didn't see this, Robin pointed this out to me, how fast Simon Pagano was those last two laps. Oh, man. I, it makes me wonder, um, and hopefully someday we'll, we'll be able to ask him this, but it really makes me wonder like how how many more laps it would have took him for him to be he right was up a, there. He would have been on Alio that lap because Alio was in traffic. They were running, they were running too wide in front of Alio. Uh, which yeah, I realized was last lap, but they still had to make another lap. The two cars, the cars in front of him had to still make another lap to finish the race. So they're running too wide. Halo crosses line, Alex crosses line, and Simon is on the inside of him passing as they come across the line. Simon runs third. He passes uh, Pato on the back straightaway. I mean, going in three and just drives. Fine, like he's tied to a stump. Yeah, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, he's on Alex. And man, I I think another lap, you're either going to have one of the damnedest crashes you ever saw, or you may have been looking at a three-time winner who's ran second four times, and then another two-time winner. You know, Uh, because Simon, his his car was on rails. At the end of that race, man, he was absolutely on rails. Um, so that that was lost on me when I first watched the race live. Uh, but watching it later on in the highlights and, and on the replay is 
I mean, if anybody hadn't looked at, watch his last couple of laps, and he 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 is absolutely coming. And I remember looking at the finish, and I'm like, how in the hell did Pagano run third? Yeah. And until again, until I saw it. But uh, how about Sage Karam runs seventh? He's done that. He's had a couple good runs, Indy, right? Yeah. I think um, was it last year, the year before. I think he had another top ten. Yeah. Just think what he would do, you know, in a Penske car, you know, Ganassi car. It's so weird. He you no, know, he did drive for Chip, and it was. Um, did he? Yeah, yeah, but it was a. It wasn't a full. I mean, it was like a partnership with Ganassi, wasn't it? Or was it a full? I thought it was a Ganassi. Ganassi, though, I could be wrong. I, I don't. I'm. I'm not perfect on all that stuff, so I could be wrong, but um, I don't know, man. Of course, unfortunately, he was involved in that situation with Justin Wilson, and maybe that played on it a little bit, too. You know, it's tough for a young man. You know, he's not very old. Today, he's not very old. Um, So, you know, who knows? I don't want to speak for somebody, but... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's had some great finishes there, and Ferrucci had a great finish, and, and really didn't hear about him all day. He's finished like sixth, fourth, and fifth or something. I mean, he's had yeah. some. I mean, all of his finishes at Indy have been really good, and like you know, we're talking about people just know how to run good at Indy, and I think Santino's definitely one of those. Sage, I think, is one of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, was there any uh, big surprises to you? Good or bad? Um, for me, I think the biggest one was VK. I I really thought he was going to be there at the end. I mean, he was just. I did too. Yeah, I mean, he was strong all month. Um, and you know, we saw during qualifying how quick he was. And well, I think another one that, and I don't even know if we we haven't really even mentioned this name once, Scott Dixon. Yeah, we just talked about when he had a problem in the pits. Right, right. Um, and he just kind of, you know. And and I think part of it, I think they were saying like he just didn't really have a fast race car. He had a fast qualifying car. Yeah, which was another, again another thing Dave Land was was talking about when we did that show, and he said the other drivers don't think he has a fast race car. And I I I mean I guess you got to agree with that, right? I mean, yeah. um, it, again, he was looking at being fifth in the points at one point in that race, mm-hmm. and with Alex a double points race, well. Lucky for Scott, a guy who's not run the full season wins the race, and Alex runs second. Instead of Alex having this gigantic lead on him, he's only 35 points up. Now, Scott's going to have to really – 35 points is a lot of points. But, but hey, there's a reason why they call him the Iceman. Yeah. I mean, I, again, you can look at glasses either half full or half empty, and I think if you're going to ask you, you walk out of there thinking, whew, we dodged a big bullet today. Uh, at least for the for the nine team. Where the ten team's thinking, man, we missed a heck of a chance today. <laughs> I mean, you know. Oh, so, yeah. No, for sure. Um, Man, yeah. So that's going to be a really interesting fight because I don't think Alex is done winning this year. No, absolutely and, not. And I don't think Scott's done winning this year either. So, um. Yeah. At some point, this this first time winter streak is going to come to an end this year, and you're going to see somebody you know run off a couple of races, and um, and it may be Newgarden, you know, uh, or maybe McLaughlin. It may it, it you know maybe a Penske car, 
Yeah. Um, oh, I'd, I'd love to see Sky get his first one. Yeah. Oh, me too. I, um, and I, I got news for people this year was all new. Speedway was all new to him. Well, next year won't be. And next year, and I think he found a groove at the end of that race that he fell into. Um, and he he was pretty quick too at the end of the race. He wasn't Simon Pagano quick, but he was quick. Uh, and I, I think next year for him, it it's going to be pretty interesting. And and um, I, yeah, I, I think next year's race, next year race is going to be pretty interesting. Is it is this the last year for the the cars as they are, or did they push that back to next year? That I don't know. Yeah, I'm terrible with the new rules packages and that. I, I need to look at that. Um, at some point, they're going to start having new rules roll in. And I think they were even doing some testing with that with the uh, hybrid system at one point over there. I don't know if it was this month or when it was, but I think they've done some testing with that. Yeah, hybrid no, they system. definitely have. I've definitely heard they've done some. So, which may throw a whole new mix in the game. Oh, absolutely. Um, and depending on how it is, you know, but, uh, but boy, race wise, I, I heard some crazy number. I didn't realize they had so many passes throughout the pack. Yeah, I didn't. And it, yeah, it was like pretty early on in the race, and they, there was a really high number. I forget what that number was, but it's a very high number. I mean, I think the, I think that through throughout the pack racing, mm-hmm. there was over two hundred passes for position. Yeah, no, that that number sounds about right. And I just, I just didn't, for some reason, that didn't even that that went right over my head until I heard that stat on Monday. And there's another thing I heard, and I could be wrong. I did. I forget where I heard this, but it was the fastest 500 ever. Yeah, two cautions, and that one had a crazy amount of yellow flag laps. I don't know why it had so many yellow flag laps, but it did. Oh yeah, in the pits. Yeah, that was kind yeah. of weird. Um, but it, and I think it kind of goes. It shows like just how good the field is now and how competitive it is. Um, because I mean, there was only what like. A handful of cars that didn't finish the race, which is unbelievable. Right. I mean, you know, Rossi stayed out there and ran as hard as he could run. And I don't think he ever got his lap back, did he? I don't think did, so. If he did, it was, you know. And he may have been one of those cars that was kind of gambling to hope for a cost in there at the end. Because I know there's a couple cars that, and I don't remember exactly who they were, but there were a couple cars, if there would have been a cost and, you know, 10 laps to go, whatever. Very well could have been a different winner. Yeah. Well, I know Rosenquist was one. Right. Yep. And then um, I forget who the other one was that was running up front with Rosenquist. But uh, you know something that interesting that really happened? Rosenquist, as Alex pulled up on Rosenquist, Rosenquist pulls into pits. Um, after he'd already made that pit stop, he goes through the pits. I don't know if he stopped or if he just went through the pits. And I found that to be, if he did that just to be a gentleman racer, so the leaders could fight it out, that's pretty unheard of today. Right. I did not realize that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So if you if you watch it, he pits, and then he comes back out and he blends in and. Before they catch that large pack of cars, they actually catch, I'm pretty sure it's Rosenquist. And Rosenquist 
drops off and goes through the pits. And I, I don't remember if he stopped, like maybe he had another issue, or if he just drove through the pits so he wouldn't be part of the fight in the end. Yeah, that's unheard of. I if, if that was the case, I've never heard of anyone. Because I saw because because if if you watch it, Palou starts getting a giant draft off of he gets a giant toe off of Rosenquist. I, I'm mm-hmm. positive Rosenquist, and uh, and I thought, well, that's the race. Uh, I don't think Haley was going to be able to draft up because essentially he's the third car in line at that point. And the further, the deeper you go in the pack, the harder it is to pull out and pass. And I, Absolutely. And I thought, I thought, well, that might be the race. And then, turns out, whoever that car was comes in, and then he, he and Alex actually then run down that giant pack of cars. The first time they'd really run in traffic all day. That that was really, to my knowledge, the first time they really even caught lap traffic all day. Yeah, and uh, and I and, and the thing about it was at that point you're thinking, well, Helio's got this because he's in that position now, right? But that I tell you what, that last lap when he started coming in, up on that, um, and and, and you know, it wasn't. I'm not going to compare it to like the Jarrah Hillebrand situation, but you know, when whenever there's someone leading like that and it's the last lap and you're coming up on lap traffic, I mean, anything it's got to be right. And and this, and that had to be a lot more stressful based on the fact that you know Palou was right there behind him, so right. it wasn't a situation. If he was you know a half lap ahead or whatever, I'm sure the team would have said you know slow down, don't pass the cars, you're fine. Yeah. But well, he had know, he had to get, he had to run as hard as he could. Right, but then yeah. again, you know it's Elio Castroneves, and you know he's not he's not going to make that mistake. Right, just the bottom line. Yeah, you know it's funny. I was watching 2011 today. Um, not long before the show, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not even sure why I, I even turned it on. Was watching the end of the race, and man, I feel as bad for J.R. Hildebrand today as I did then. I, I just, I guess, if you want to look at the, if you are believing fate, and you know, and there's always a grand plan. Uh, you look back at today, you know, Dan gets his last win. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately he's gone by the end of the year. So, you know, I, I, that'd be as, as somebody at JR spot, you always want to win the race. That's how you're programmed to be. But for somebody like myself, there would be a place too where it'd be like, well, you know, maybe it was just, that was meant to be, you know, right. Everything happens for a reason. Even if it's, even if you don't understand what that reason is right away. Right, so I, it was such a such a crazy moment. Oh man, yeah. And it just and he and he caught him in such a a weird weird way, and he didn't. I don't know, man. You go back and watch it; it's such an odd. The whole sequence is just odd because the nose just kind of takes off, and he never really backpedals. But he backpedals before he gets to Charlie, which I think took the air off the front wings to begin with, possibly. Because um, you see his car kind of bobble as he's coming up on Charlie. And he, you know, you know, and I remember Charlie caught some hell in that deal, too, and, and he's just out there driving. I mean, he didn't do right. anything. No. He never, moved off, he never moved off the white line. He didn't do anything. I mean, 
it's the leader's job to pass the lap car. Right. Oh, it's absolutely. Not, it's not the lap car's job to, you know, to do anything other than stay, hold their line. So, but, uh, man, what a celebration after that race, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, and it, Scott... it's truly, it's truly what to me, it's one of the greatest moments ever IMS. Uh, oh, absolutely. Just, you know, yeah. just a lot of passion there, small team. And, and there's that photo we were talking about with, um, Michael Shank standing on the pit wall when Elio's coming by. And that, that kind of sums it up right there. That photo yeah. is worth a, a thousand words for sure. Um, and Scott um, Gager will talk a lot about that um, as we. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and some we didn't talk about with Scott and some I, I went to mention. Uh, I thought it was really great when in the interview, Michael made sure that they acknowledged that his wife was a part of that, too. Because, you know, it's easy to stand there. And, um, and in the moment, it's really not that big a deal, right? On the right. surface, but I think that I think that gives you a little deeper insight to what kind of guy he probably is um, to make sure that everybody's acknowledged. And his wife, I'm sure, has put up with a lot. As you know, I mean, oh. whatever whatever sacrifices he's making, she's making. Right, because I mean, you're an absolute team. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, and and I and she may be heavily involved in that day to day. And I just don't realize it. Um, so, you know, I'm sure she, no matter what, she's a huge part of that team. And I, I just thought it was really great that he acknowledged his wife when they were giving him all the accolades uh, for winning the race. Oh, absolutely. It makes me remember, and I'll tell this quick story before we um, jump right into talking with Scott. But I've, I volunteered at um, Fan Force United back in like, two, I think it was 2011, 2000, no, it been 2012. And um, I, at that point, I was looking at possibly getting into racing. And I remember one of the crew members um, called me over to his toolbox. And he's like, you see this picture right here? And it's a picture of um, a lady that was his wife and his kid. And he was like, yeah, I got a divorce because of racing. You don't want to do this. And that's no, a story. And, and it's an old story, I'll never man. forget. Right. I've got I've got a brother who's had three marriages, you know, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, because, you know, obviously racing was not the entire reason. But uh, unfortunately, um, people people don't understand what it's like until you're actually doing it. Oh, right. right. Uh, and and I, it, you know, what looks maybe glamorous when you're dating is it glamorous when you're married. Uh, or, or something to that effect, you know, and that works for men and women too. Uh, I'm sure there's female crew members who have the exact same problems. Yeah, um, sure. So I, I don't want to make it one sex over the other. Um, it, it's just, um, it's a hard life. And, and I, I feel for that guy um, because not everybody's cut out to do it. They think they are, but it's like anything. It's like, having a small business or anything that you're passionate about, um, there's got to be a lot of sacrifices made to make these things happen. So, Oh, absolutely. Well, I think um, without any further ado, we'll go ahead and chat with um, Scott Gager. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be a phone-in call. This will be the first phone-in call. So if anybody's expecting a video of Scott talking, 
he won't be in there, but it, it is an amazing call with uh, truly one of the great characters uh, that Absolutely. I know in auto racing and uh, a really good guy. And we hope you enjoy it. And if you're listening um, on one of the podcast streaming platforms, obviously you don't see a video. Um, but I just wanted to say, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any place where podcasts can be found. We're most likely there. Um, so we appreciate all the support so far. Like I said, just give us a follow and um, yeah, enjoy enjoy the podcast. And we definitely have some um, some exciting ones coming up soon. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And thank you for everybody who's watched so far, or listened so far. Um, uh, we're going to get better at this. I'm going to get better at this. Uh, but I, uh, man, we've just had some great guests, and I just want to thank everybody out there. Absolutely, it's been a blast. I actually went to Ray Haroon's grave site in Anderson and put my 500 old-timer hat on his grave and said, listen, Ray, I need some help winning this race. And then I went to Roger Ward Jr. I was born in 1959, the year his dad won, and I asked if I could wear his dad's ring. I'd be honored. And uh, the rest is history. Oh, man, how great is that? Hey, join us on the phone uh, three-time Indianapolis 500 winning crew member, Scott Gager. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Fantastic. Oh, man. So what a month, right? Absolutely. It was just uh, I uh, really felt for Roger Pinsky last year, and uh, it couldn't have been a better script than what happened uh, yesterday. Or was that or was that Sunday? I can't even remember where I'm at anymore. Sunday. <laughs> Sunday. So I agree with that. Uh, we actually talked about that on the show. I, uh, as bad as you can feel for a billionaire, I That's felt true. bad for uh, Roger Pesky because he takes spends all this money, he then does all this work, and he doesn't get to show it off to anybody. And at least this year, the world got to see what he's been working on. Uh, so absolutely. And he got a four time winner. He got in his one of his guys. I think Foyt's the only one that did not win a 500. Uh, only one of the four time winners who did not win a 500 driving for Roger. Um, so, Correct. you know, what a, what a great, just what a great day. I, I, I was as a fan, uh, man, I was just really excited uh, to see how it all turned out. Well, I told uh, Elio in Victory Lane, I said, uh, you know, you were Peyton Manning and you were Tom Brady. You switched teams and you beat the others. And he goes, yeah, I am. <laughs> so I would kind of rubbed off on him a lot of times. So I kind of was a bad influence at times. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did you teach him how to run? Uh, no, he's got a lot of spring in that step, man, and I just envy him because uh, that's the way I used to be wired for sound. But uh, no, he's got a lot of spring in that step, most definitely. Did you climb the fence with him? Uh, I got out there and I saw all those people. I go, no, I'm going to fall off and kill myself and embarrass myself. So I stood back and watched. But when we were in Victory Lane, I did take one of the milk bottles and I went to the edge of victory lane and people went nuts i go this is what it's all about went down when they told us to go to the yard of brick and 
I went up to the fence and I go, fans, this is for you. And they are all taking pictures and going crazy. And then they start screaming at me, climb the fence. And it's like, I didn't have my step stool to get on the, on the wall. <laughs> it's too high, <laughs> but it was fun. It was, I mean, uh, to be able to be in the middle of all that pretty darn cool. Very, very humbled by it. Yeah, and you know, speaking of, and, and I and I say this in no way to make fun of whoever this was. I really feel bad for one of your teammates who fell uh, running out there to the fence. Uh, that was my best friend. Uh, I felt I felt bad for him. They were kind of killing him on social media. Austin Cindric had that alternate angle of all that and showed that guy falling down. Oh and, my goodness! Uh, it and he looked like he fell hard. He did. His hand was bloodied because I offered my glove to him because his hand was so cut up. His knee was, and uh, his elbow was pretty bloodied up. But, hey, it was in the heat in the moment. He goes, I'm still going up that fence. Oh, great for so, him, man. I, yeah. I, just, I, I just, you know, um, for myself, I, I just, what a sacred place for me personally, uh, victory lane is I, I won't go into victory lane at speedway. When I take the tours and that, I, I, I won't go into it cause I never earned it. I don't deserve it. Um, uh, stuff like that means a lot to me. I, I won't, I won't touch someone else's baby Borg. I won't, uh, I don't do any photos with the, um, the trophy, um, Borg Warner trophy, just cause I, that, to me, in honor racing, that is the highest honors you can have. And Absolutely. I just respect, I respect everything that you guys accomplished. Um, so, man, hats off to you. One yeah, thing so. is uh, I, I get a lot of praise uh, for being on the, uh, winning, but it's like it's a team. I'm just a spec on that team. But I know what it means, and I know... I know the way each guy or gal on a team, how hard they work. Everyone is different. Everyone's got a different personality. But the the whole outright goal is to win. And one thing about the Meyer-Shank team that is very impressive, yes, they are focused, but each and each one of those guys, they thank you during the day. They tell you they love you. You don't get guys telling you that, but that's win or lose, that's just their attitudes. And it makes you really feel good when when they sincerely mean that because that's just the way they're brought up and that's their life. And when Michael Shank talks to us, and, and I know this from Dick Simon because he was a heck of a promoter, that you have to act like you are a car owner just like him. And you have to do everything the way it's supposed to be done to win this race because it's not easy and very few get to win it. And it was very emotional to see Michael Shank get off that scoring stand. He got down in the pits and he got on his knees and was praying. And I go, that was just absolutely awesome. He looked at me and goes, did you think this could happen within five years? And I go, yes, because you have to believe. Right. Wow. That, that's very powerful. I, I um and there's gonna be that great photo and I haven't seen a better angle of it yet, but hopefully someone's got a great angle of Michael getting up on the fence as Haley was coming down the front straightaway. 
uh, to stop the car to climb on the fence, but you know he's got his arms raised, and uh, you know I don't know Mike Mike Shank at all on any level. I've heard him speak a lot, and as someone who's been around racing for a very long time, I, I feel that Mike Shank is what I would is a true definition of a racer. Absolutely, um, that that's always been my like. He is a racer's racer. Uh, he well, doesn't. You know, he doesn't buy it. He does. I mean, he earns it. He earns everything he gets. Right. Yep. And and I know last year it's like, why can't we? Why can't we win this race? And right. uh, it just little words like that are are big because it just it makes you work harder. When I look at that driver, no matter what job I do, if it's re- filling the refrigerator or doing tires or do, setting up the pits, whatever. I act like I'm the driver in that car, and my life depends on it, and my team depends on it, no matter what I do. And uh, so uh, that that gives you uh, confidence in what you're doing, and you always work as a team, no matter what questions. Nothing's a, a dumb question. You just you communicate with each other, and that's what makes it uh, makes it good. I, I agree. You know, I, I have this saying I say all the time is I always want to be the weakest link in whatever team I'm involved in because I feel like if I'm the weakest link, we're really good. And um, <laughs> me, meaning that uh, I, especially when it comes to auto racing, I take it very serious. Um, sure. And, uh, and, you know, I try to approach it exactly as you were talking about. Uh, I, I feel a huge amount of responsibility anytime I'm around those cars and working on them. And, um, and just, just like you said, and that's, I, I mean, that's why you've, you know, gotten so many good jobs and, um, and why you're such an asset to have around. So I, I, I as someone who's been around sport or, you know, been into team sports, I really appreciate that attitude. Well, Matt Swan, the chief mechanic for LEO, he goes, listen, i got to have you on my team. You're my good luck charm. You're the peanut butter in between our bread. And it's like you got to talk to these guys. And I always have something to say, but it's like, hey, you're you're the, the main man. He goes, no, we all are. And uh, he goes, uh, I know that uh, with you on our team, you can get us to where we're going. And that's, that's uh, really makes you feel warm and fuzzy that – a man that now has won the 500 five times uh, as a crew uh, as a crew member, crew chief, uh, that he has that much uh, respect for you, and it's it's very humbling. Even last night, that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway had a victory di- dinner like never before, and it was just the winning team on the yard of bricks. And he goes, "I want you to sit by me," and, and I felt very special to be able to do that, and. Uh, like I said, I'm just a, a speck within the team, the way I look at it, just a piece of the puzzle. But it's nice to be respected and and have people talk that way to you. You know, and we don't have enough time to do it all tonight, uh, but we would like to have you back in the future. And, and you, you're such a colorful guy, and you're a very interesting guy. Uh, and you're, and you're a, one of the biggest fans of the sport I know. Um and so, you know, to kind of really, really, truly get into your journey into this sport. Um, but tonight, you know, we're talking more about this, the the race that happened. And um, 
Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, how did you get hooked up with Shank? I mean, you've been hooked up with Shank now for, would you say, three years? Well, I actually been with them when they ran uh, with Andretti back in 17. I was with them also. And okay. we all worked out of the same tire barn, so to speak. But uh, uh, Mike Smith that I worked with with Dick Simon, uh, he was friends with uh, one of their tire guys, and uh, they needed help. And so he goes, hey, I got the guy for you, and, and that's how it all worked out. And I know where Mike Shank came, where he actually bought a car, and then they wouldn't give him an engine deal. That's right. And, yeah. and so he had to sell the car for less than what he paid for it. So yes, our Sunday was redemption. I mean, he worked so hard, and his family worked so hard. And uh, I always plug Sirius XM because they're one of the uh, involved with the car ownership. Uh, Liberty Media owns Formula One, uh, so uh, they're involved. And I always plug that for them. Please su support our sponsors. And it's still through June eighth is free Sirius XM on your radio. So anyway, oh, great. yes, it is. And I told uh, Jim Meyer yesterday, because he had just retired, he was the CEO of Sirius. I go, you realize our car just won on Sirius XM, the sponsor? And he's like, it did. I go, yeah, so you need to plug that too. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and you know, and I didn't know that story. I didn't realize that he actually lived in Indianapolis and commuted to New York. Yes, um, yep, he oh. uh Flew up there on the airplane all the time, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a one gun ho kind of dude for for the the team. But uh, I'm just blessed to even be in any capacity with the race team because usually it's young guns anymore. And and uh, you know I'm an older guy, but I always said I said uh, my job was like doing 16 hour pit stop in the past. I go try that. Because a lot of guys are like, aren't you a little too old to do this? And it's like, you couldn't do my job. That <laughs> one I had. That's so, right. Anyway. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that next time we have you on. Okay. We'll get into all Sounds that. great. All right. Um, so uh, give us an idea. I mean, you know, and we actually did a race preview show. And I thought about asking you on for that. And I thought, man, he's been working so hard this month. I, I don't want to bother him right now. Um, but one thing I really wanted to, for people to just general layman fans, uh, what is race morning like? Like what time do you start? What, I mean, what is that like? I was actually there at two thirty AM, but oh. usually I, I go in at 12, uh, AM. Um, I very rarely sleep where I grew up on the West side. Bob Shanks Airport, the plane started coming in at 1, 1.30. We had our windows open, no air conditioning, so I was always awake as a kid. So that actually was, since I was six years old, that was my 56th 500. Wow. And so, and it's still, when I get there and I walk in, it's just the adrenaline's unbelievable. And uh, I always tell everyone the goosebumps that you get are the people that have passed through those gates from the past and uh there's a lot of my, a lot of friends a lot of family my dad was at the 1933 race and our former neighbor louis meyer was the winner of that race and my dad had to sneak in because he couldn't afford to get in he didn't have the money but um 
it's just uh it when you get there uh it's like hurry up and wait uh like this year we got in there and the engineers wanted all the tires purged so we had to take 18 sets uh nine per car let the let the gas out and repurge them and set them to the the pressures they wanted for the race and uh so you just start loading the pit cart you start going out and getting everything ready out there in the pits and uh they had breakfast the andretti's did but for us but no i just skipped that and ate a protein bar because of just focus i could care less about eating or anything it's just you just stay focused within your pit is what i told some of the new guys you don't look at anything else except your surroundings where everything is uh be prepared for anything um and uh you know you get the you stay fire up that car early and that's when you really start get the excitement you start bouncing around then because uh you know it's it's race day and uh you know all eyes are on indianapolis and uh i always said that when they ran monaco the same day as indy we're setting up and we peek in the garage and watch them in monaco well when they're done monaco looks at us and uh right. this right. this year uh, with it being the biggest gathering since the pandemia uh <laughs> all eyes were on indianapolis i said let's make it shine so i think i think sunday indianapolis really did shine and with the castor nevis is a very loved person by the fans and with the dancing with the stars winning there i mean he was on a mission and uh matt swan chief mechanic said we got a hot rod this car's fast castor nevis is saying don't touch it it's uh it's a rocket ship and he told palu uh at the uh awards uh dinner uh beforehand he says I was not going to finish second again. I finished three times, and I was not going. I'm sorry, was not going to finish second again this day. And uh, which uh, you'll have your time, buddy. This one's mine. So right. uh, <laughs> when I walked out of there yesterday, I had my hand up five times. I'm like, hey, let's do it again. Let's be the first five-time winner. Well, uh, I tell you, we had a race preview show, like I said, and. and- we all did a pick, and, and uh, uh, David Land picked you guys um, because of your consistency through the month um, and all that, and which he was spot on. I mean, uh, you guys, your Halo had been so consistent all month. And then, yeah, I listened to his interviews, and I texted Aaron before the race on Sunday. I, and, and I, I, we have a group text, Aaron and his dad. And uh, I said, Haleo firmly believes he's winning this race today. You could see it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, I mean, it wasn't boasting. It wasn't anything else. It, it was a belief that he was going to walk away the winner on on Sunday. Yep. Yep. And, and, and Jack, not not to take away from Jack, but what hurt him was they took forever to get Wilson's car out of the pits. Right. And, and that 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 messed him up when the pits were closed and had to come in and fuel. And, uh, that was just the start of the downfall. So, which actually helped Elio because I guess Dixon and, uh, and, Rossi, uh, Rossi had uh, the problem too. And that's just, uh, you got to refigure a lot of things, but, 
this is one of my, I'm not the car owner, but, you know, if I was Michael Andretti, I would have told all my team to run together the whole day. You got eight cars out there with shanks. Run together, right. swap the lead, save your fuel. How much extra fuel you'd have in your car if you were with your teammates saving and then come in. But that was my strategy. So I watched... be, being, being there forever, you get a lot of ideas. I watched uh, at some point during the race, and the lap number escapes me, but Haley's chasing Alex, and I'm watching. They got the throttle traces and all that on the on the big screen, and I'm watching right. Haley just do real real short runs at him, and then all of a sudden he's at half throttle, and he's just drafting, and then right before he gets the corner, he goes full throttle, so he doesn't scrub a bunch of speed. And it's full throttle across the short chute through the next corner, drafts up on him, and just sits there at half throttle. And I I told Robin in, I said, man, uh, this guy's fast. I mean, he, yes. he, he's got – he's just figuring out what Alex has. And this race car is an absolute rocket ship because he can pull up on him anytime he wants. Where I, where I live here in Scienceville, I got a Honda uh, engineer that lives right across from my condo. And uh, I haven't seen him since uh, because I, I make him nervous. But I said, listen, if we don't have a bullet, if we don't have a bullet on race day, your your truck's going to be up on blocks. I'm taking the wheels, dude. And uh, <laughs> I still haven't seen him. <laughs> but I want to thank him for the bullet we got. <laughs> well, you had a good one. Yep. Yes, indeed, brother. I was listening to an interview with Michael Shank. Um, I think it was yesterday. I know we all got the days mixed up. But the thing Michael was saying was, I think he said around lap 120, 130, he was like, why is Elio doing this? And then he realized, like, you know, 20 or 30 laps later, like, he's doing this on purpose. And he's probably talking yes. about, like, what um, Scott was just talking about with letting up on the gas. Right. And I've talked to a lot of spotters, and they tell me that that guy knows every inch of that track proper and that's got to be because of Rick Mears because uh, Rick would work on his car up to the 400 mile marker usually and then let it rip after that and uh, a, a pass I didn't see until watching replay was when he passed Daly going down the back straightaway and it was a dominant pass because Daly kind of broke his run and Halo was able to get out just a little further and just drive by him. And if I'd seen that pass when it happened, I would have, I would have, you know, right then made up my mind that Halo's winning the race. It was a, it was demonstrative. It, there was that, that, because they, it isn't like Daly was slow. Daly would have been oh. super fast at that point. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. That uh, uh, Chevy had a lot of horsepower. He was super fast at that point, and, and Halo just pulled out and just drove by him. I thought, oh, man, that was impressive. Yes, yeah, and uh, uh, I talked to uh, his mother yesterday, Beth, and uh, uh, Doug Bowles, and uh, she was horse as can be for screaming from him, leading, I believe, 40 laps. and 47, it's just, I think, right? 47? I think it was. And, uh, to get dinged on the front wing like that was just oh, a, just a darn shame. But, you know, I remember Gary Bettenhausen with tears in his eyes when he drove for Menard, and he got dinged when he had that rocket ship for Menard. When, 
he drove the next day and was like four miles an hour over the pole position and right. his Menards Buick and and uh, um, you know just just it's a lot of luck also at Indy. I mean, you never Jack and I talked about it. You never say anything bad about this place because I remember working with Fisher with Jim Wright with the Buicks and uh, Dennis Fisher was saying this place isn't anything. And I'm like, God, I wish you wouldn't have said that because that day we had like three cars that we serviced crash and four blown engines because I was going back to our Penske rental truck, pushing engines over to the team to pull them back up. And it's like, man, you don't say anything about this place. No, I agree. I, I hold that place in as high reverence as I possibly can at all times. Um, yeah, my brother worked for Menard that year. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we actually had a long discussion about that month just two weeks ago and just, you know, unfortunately, he didn't get to experience the the uh, enjoyment that you did. You know what I'm saying? It's just how it is. It's just how that place is. Uh, yes, it is. Um, and yeah. it's um, it, it hurts as many feelings as it as it makes good feelings. You know, I mean that that doesn't sound good, but it, it just it can really, you know, it, it really. I, uh, I think when they say it chooses its winners, I. It's hard. It's hard to argue against that. Right, right. I I have lunch a lot of times with Robin Miller, Lee Kunzman, Merle Bettenhausen, Bill Vukovic, the second, and I look at those guys and the hell they went through, and oh. they never got the opportunity. The Bettenhausen family not, never got the opportunity to to win Indy, and there was a little pinhole in the. And Gary's uh, car that year, driving for Penske, and he had a lap on uh, Mark Donahue, or close to it, in 72. And for that to, the engine to seize up, uh, they were losing water. And uh, just a pinhole, an aluminum tank that uh, uh, I believe the uh, weld gave way. And uh, it's just, I think of those guys, every how good they all were, and they never got to, to experience it. And uh, some people do and some people don't, but it's like uh, I, I always said that it's it's too bad that they didn't get the chance to experience it because it would have been great for the Bettenhausen family. And uh, yeah, all and the... unfortunately, I, I've always said this: Gary Bettenhausen will forever be one of the most underrated race car driver there probably will ever be. Uh, yeah, because he didn't, he just didn't put his name on that trophy. And people sure. just people just do not understand how great of a race car driver Gary is. He he could the little bit I was around him, I, you know. I I obviously he's an older generation. I know that he could really aggravate people as well. But I I don't right. think it was ever like in a bad way. It was just he was just kind of could be kind of an aggravating person. But I think he did it a lot of times because he cared so much. Sure. And, you know, and I just up. I look at I look at Lloyd Ruby I look at Dan right. Gurney right there, uh, guys like that 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 were so great and I mean I looked at Gurney yes yeah, face wasn't on the Borg Warner but in 1980 uh, 88 I worked with Jim Wright with Buick and every day he come out and stand behind me and he goes I know you're the only ones going to tell me the truth on how fast these cars are going because I was using the radar gun before all the telemetry and and uh, I'm like 
Dan Gurney's standing behind me. I yeah. can't believe this. You know, because I was in awe. They're, the movie stars are fake. These guys are real. Just like ta- right. Paul Newman stood with me in 85. We were butted up, and he'd stand out there. We didn't talk about movies. We talked about racing, and that's all he cared about. He just wished right. he was a younger man when he started because he was so passionate about it. And I was so so hoping that Mario could have won for him to be in victory lane yeah. because he so deserved that. And unfortunately right. it never happened. Yeah. I, again, that, that guy was a racer's racer. Um, you know, he would, you know, for the people who don't know it, he, like he would go rent sprint cars from Corey Cruzman school and take his team or take like Christian Fittipaldi or those guys at the time, they'd go run, you know, go practice sprint cars or whatever he could get in and drive. Uh, sure. And I know guys like Parnelli held him in extreme high esteem for his driving abilities. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, he would have been, he, there's a guy that in his day, I mean, uh, as a young man, if he had pursued auto racing, who knows? Right, right. right. You know, uh, I had to tell you a story, though, that Robin Miller and he went to lunch. They were down in Phoenix. They went to a place and went to lunch. And he, Robin said that uh, Newman was wearing a pair of painter's pants and a T-shirt. And uh, he goes, I forgot my wallet back at the track. And Robin's like, yeah, right. You sound like a car owner. And uh, he goes, no, really, I did. He goes, I'll buy you lunch. So they get up there, and the cashier, the guy goes, uh, Hey, is that who I think it is? And he goes, well, who do you think it is? He goes, Paul Newman. He goes, oh, hell no. He's a painter back at the racetrack. <laughs> and uh, Robin said that Newman would call him. I still think that's funny that you told that guy I was a painter. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> you, you know, so. um, yeah, I mean, and I think that's really, truly what he really wanted to be, right? I mean, he wanted to be just an average guy. Yes, and, indeed. And, you and, know, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, the way he made his had to make his money was standing in front of a camera, saying lines and and being good looking, right? I mean, Absolutely. that was his lot in life. Every ninety nine percent of the people in this world would take it, right? Uh, that's true. That's very very true. Just like Dempsey, uh, yeah, I was about to he, say that. he's the same way because we butted up a lot of times when I worked on the sports car teams and. That's all he really wanted to do was uh, drive race cars. So what's it like? So you, you've won the race, right? And we we danced on the wall, and uh, the pace cars went around in one of the most epic pace car rides in history. And they get back, and and uh, you know, at what point do you say, "Well, I got to start breaking down the pit"? <laughs> I mean, at what point does that does that reality come to hey we still got a job to do here and right right well you just go back to do the grunt work and and start uh tearing everything down and and uh every time like the the wheels would come off the car you'd take them back and immediately firestone break them down and either put them out front or put them in a room and you run back there with the the wheel cart and start stacking them up and uh but uh it's nice when everyone comes up and congratulates you and right. uh, it, that's very humbling, and uh, there's no, you know, bad feelings because uh, I've known a lot of guys for a long time on on those teams, and it's 
it's very nice for them to to say that because I always say, "Hey, fast guys," when they're fast out on the <laughs> track, and or when they qualify up front, "Hey, fast guys," you know, why don't you give us some of that power you have? And but uh, no, I I reflect. There's so many times on Sunday that I was around people, and I reflect on. I was a lucky kid to live in a neighborhood that uh, was drivers, mechanics, officials, guards, or TV personalities. And they used to sneak me in gasoline alley, and I was scared to death. And, hey, kid, clean this part, wax this, whatever there was to do. And they'd sneak me through bare alignment. But I reflected on all that, riding my bicycle with my best friend Brian uh, over there during the winter and sitting in standee wishing there was a car on the track, eating, uh, like, cinnamon uh, reeds like the Lifesavers and trying to keep warm, freezing to death and wishing there was a car, and it all full circle. And even though I'm an old-timer, uh, I've been on winning teams, I still reflect all the way back being a fan. And uh, I give little kids the uh, the valve caps off and said, hey, this will make your bike go faster. These are Elios, or these are Scotty Brayton's, or these are Jack Harvey's. And you try to make a fan, kind of like after a sprint car race when they put the kid in the sprint car that's making a fan. And uh, so I always reflect that I'm still a fan no matter what because I know how they feel and they just want to be a part of it in some way. And uh, so it's just it's just full circle for me constantly, my, my attitude. Uh, you know, people go, well, you won the 500, don't change. And it's like, no, I'm just... I'm just a fan still, guys. I'm not going to change. It's honor. It's humbling and honoring to even be able to be able to be on a winning team. And uh, but it's still um, you're you're still down to earth with everyone else. Like I always tell everyone, I'm dirt on the earth. You just walk on me. <laughs> so that's that's as high as I get. So right. So. Uh, um- so for you on Sunday during the race, when when did you actually realize like Elio has a good shot at winning this thing? My uh, my girlfriend was in the stands and she was walking in circles, and I'm looking at her and she's freaking out and her niece is freaking out, and uh, I look up there and they look down at me and they're shaking their heads and stuff and I just pointed to my finger. I'm getting another ring, and uh, because Elio was on a mission. I know right. the chief mechanic said that uh, uh, that car was a rocket ship, and I know from his experience, and this is with not, not even being able to see what was going on, just hear the screaming of the crowd and stuff. I go, this guy's on a mission to do this. And I honestly, I this is, this is really tough, but I had COVID back uh, last November. They gave me 12 hours to live. And I knew Elio was driving for our team. Honestly, guys, I envisioned all this happening. When I was sitting in that chair for nine days with all the tubes in me, and I and I envisioned, honest to God, all this stuff that was going to happen. I told my girlfriend, when we win, I'm going to take you to the victory dinner. Uh, I will be in victory lane. And I just felt it was a mission. And uh, before it even started, I just had that feeling. And sometimes those feelings come true, and it did. It did, and uh, it was tough. I, and that's another thing. When I'm working out there, I kept on thinking, it's not hot out here. Just think of what you felt like back in that hospital trying to breathe. 
And uh, so anyway, it all worked out. It worked out well. Absolutely. And yeah, I would definitely say about lap 150, I just knew that Palou just didn't have a chance. And like I heard Michael Shank said during the interview yesterday, you know, I mean, Alex is a great driver and I mean, he's probably going to win a 500 eventually. And, you know, he's going to win a lot of races, but you know, when it comes down to someone with 21 years of experience and three Indy wins, I mean, when it comes down to that, I mean, you just, there's not many people to stay in a chance, especially when you're no. in that fast of a car. Right, right. And you, you you know what you have to do to get the job done. And like I said, still, it was wonderful for Indianapolis. It was wonderful for the, uh, for the fans, everything. I mean, it, I think it really, I'm, I hear the numbers are really going to be up on NBC. I have not heard what the numbers are, but, uh, I knew a lot of people were going to tune in because this was the biggest thing going on since. Right. So, uh, it's great. It's great for IndyCar racing. And a lot of people, you know, try to give me grief and I don't care if they do or not because it, it all started back in 2009 when the Indianapolis Motor Speedway asked me if I would help them promote the, the hundred, the hundred year anniversary, so forth, 2011, 2009 through 11. And I said, sure, I'll do anything I can uh, to help out. And they go, well, there's a lot of pictures of you on, on Facebook about racing. And it's like, who's going to put it out there if I don't? Have you really ever looked how many people don't put IndyCar uh, right. racing out there? And I'm just doing it because I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say that I don't know. Thank you for what you do. And we purchased Sirius XM because of you. We purchased tickets because of you, and that's the whole idea. Um, I was on the fan council, and I pushed like heck when Mr. Holman died. They made it five and under. When I was a kid, it was 12 and under for practice and qualifying, and I pushed real hard to bring that back, and now it's 15 and under even race day. So if oh, we're wow. back to normal next year, if we're back to normal next year. There's 1.3 miles of viewing mounds out there. If you have one kid... Or if you have 2,022 kids, they're free, 15 and under, on race day. You buy a ticket for the world's biggest race. It's $35 ahead of time, general admission. Take your cooler. That's your next generation of fans. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, so, I agree. And I remember when you were doing all that, and and uh, I told you then, I tell you today, man, I, I tell anybody that helps promote auto racing in general, especially IndyCar racing, you know, I, I think, I thank the people who do it because for some reason it's it's almost like a third rail in some for some reason I, and I can't figure it out. I don't know what happened. I know we've had two splits and yada 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 and, and all that, but I just can't I can't put my finger on how it went from being so big to um, to whatever that whatever that NASCAR run they had in the nineties through. The 2000s really hurt IndyCar racing. Absolutely. And, and it just, it's it's been this long, long grind to try to get it back to uh, at least semi-equal footing. And the racing, and I'll tell you, in my opinion, the racing for the last, I don't know how many years has been amazing. The personalities are so good right now. Um, from the from Halio... To Alex, to Renus, 
all you know from the oldest driver to the youngest driver these guys are i mean these are great personalities great people uh and and they just just the fans have just got to somehow find out about them <laughs> and and one thing uh scotty b that i look at also is um with this uh, the virus around the world one thing that's extremely hurt you look at the payout for the this year's race and uh i think andretti spent more money on food for us for lunch than <laughs> uh, some of the drivers got because you with the andretti's team you cannot go anywhere downtown indianapolis and be fed at a restaurant the way they feed you daily and i don't eat that much because i can't eat the heat but at six o'clock at night it would have been great but i mean they just it's just the way i look at that is whatever I do, it's not about me. It's about trying to get more fans to come out there. And yeah. that's what it's about. It's about the fans. It's always, to me, always has been about the fans. And without the fans and the sponsors, there's not IndyCar racing. And even Roger, back when we did our test at the Speedway, our early test out there, he says that there's not fans, there isn't IndyCar racing. And so... I uh, agree. I think about all that. It's it's nothing about me. I am a fan, and I want more fans to come out there. And my my new uh, sister-in-law, she had never seen a race before, never seen an Indy car before. And I even bought uh, a family of uh, six this year tickets that would never be able to go out there. And uh, they really enjoyed themselves. And I saw John Force a couple of years ago out at Raceway Park, and there was a couple with two kids, and they had the kids in the wagon, and they're looking in the fence, and John gets out of his car and starts talking to them. Hey, you going to come out and watch us run tomorrow? No, sir, we can't afford it. He goes, give me a moment. I'll, I'll be back. Came back and thanked each one of the family members by name and gave them the tickets to come out yeah. the next day. And... um I mean that's just that's just awesome when when guys do that. I agree, and I I don't think people understand as how many guys have done and do things like that, and how many people then on the flip side of that don't take those opportunities as well. Uh, it, you know, it's this weird mix. Like um, most guys will do something like that. But some guys are just kind of oblivious to it. It's not like they're not trying to be uh, fan-friendly. They just may not know the best way to do it. And, and this kind of right. reminds me of – so I, I, there was a video a couple a – couple, it was when Danica was in NASCAR. And she was blowing off fans yeah. trying to get her to sign stuff. And, you know, Kyle Petty said it best. You know, whether she likes it or not, that's part of her job. Um, sure. because I mean, you're representing the sponsors. Um, and I mean, without fans, there's not going to be any sponsors because sponsors would have no reason to sponsor a car. So, you know, whether a driver likes it or not, like, you know, signing autographs is really part of their job. Um, because you know, they got to make their sponsors look good. I think she well, was in a, I think she was, it Scott probably knows Danica way better than I ever will, but I think she was in a really odd position there because she was about ready to lose her deal when that happened, they'd run the, you know, I think they'd already run out of real sponsorship money. Then they had the other deal that the, the money never come through on. And I think it's not when she spun around and told the fans, look, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out how to go fast. 
I'm sorry right. I, at this moment. And I'm not making excuses for her um, because that's kind of the – her actions maybe a little before that had kind of led to that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I, 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 as a competitor, never like to her scale. But as a competitor, I, I kind of get it. Um, but unfortunately for her, her whole image was so accessible until it come time for her to be accessible, then she always wasn't, wasn't always very accessible. Right. And, right. Uh, you, uh, this is a, a, a real quick, funny story. Uh, her PR person, her rookie year at the Speedway came up to me and goes, Hey, would you like to meet Danica? I go, I don't think you know who I am. She's going to have to wait in my line. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. And they just looked at me, <laughs> but it's just, hey, just a little quick, uh, being right. a goober. <laughs> right. I, you know, and I, I, I will tell you that I've never had a, a problem with Danica. Um, I, you know, her dad did run midgets. A lot of people don't know right. that. Uh, TJ ran midgets up in the Badger group up North and Wisconsin area and that. And, uh, so, not that that excuses anything, but I was just like, eh, I'm, I, can't, I can't really bad mouth. It isn't like sure. she was this silver spoon kid like everybody thought. Um, well, she led the Indy 500, too. I, I've never right. done that. And she won an IndyCar yep. race, too. People can say, well, it was yep. on strategy. Well, Rossi won on strategy, too. You don't see people that's talking true. about that. You know? yep. That's very true. you got to uh, cross that finish line. That's right. Any way you can. Absolutely. Well, Scotty, we're going to close this out, uh, but you are coming back, and you are going to regale us in your history in this sport, and it will be an amazing group of stories. That'll probably be a five-parter. Uh, okay. Hey, like I told the guys on the race team, hey, I'm just like a car lot. I charge $195 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> send it. Hey, send it, send it to Scott. He can afford it. Okay. Hey, I there, only know. There one I, last, there's one last question I, I wanted to ask okay. you real quick. Um, sure. So obviously you've 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 worked with a, a lot of drivers throughout the years. Is, is there something about Elio that you think kind of makes him different than other drivers? Maybe something that you know kind of gives him that winning, you know, strategy or that, uh, if you know what I'm saying. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a fan. You know, and yeah. it's just like I mean, just the the energy he has. And, and it's like I can't say some of the things that uh, I I did because I made him curse and things like that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean he just uh, is so electrifying, and uh, he was he he was real. He was very real, and it's like I'd go, "Hey, how you doing?" And he threw that right back to me, "How you doing?" <laughs> and uh, and just it's just that he he took time for everyone he possibly can. One thing that bothers me where people call a driver. Uh, bad names because well he won't say hi to me or he won't shake my hand or he won't sign an autograph i go have you ever gone up to a football player the day of the super bowl i think the guy'd kill you a football player if you got into his right. face because they're right. in a different zone their life right. depends on this their job depends on this and they're in a different yeah. world and you don't bother people there's many times that I'll say very little to a driver or won't look at them because I know their focus. I remember Jack Harvey, his second year, the man was completely different because he was so focused on going out there and doing his job. And so uh, 
Yep, it's uh, it's just, uh, but but Elio, I mean, just seemed so calm and cool about everything. And uh, well, the funny part is too. The funny part about this too is I think everybody thought Helio did Dancing with the Stars for himself, and I firmly believe that he did it for IndyCar. Sure, uh, I mean he did wife swap that, too. Did he oh, really? Absolutely. Yeah, he did wife swap. Yeah. Did he really? I didn't know uh-huh. that. <laughs> yeah, and it's just now he might uh, do that for himself. I don't know about that one, but yeah, that, no, that, would be, <laughs> that hey, that would that would be some great TV right there, Scott doing wife swap. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, um, but I got I got my hands ready without throwing that variance in there. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just that uh, he's got a heck of a personality, and um, and he's genuine. He was that, and he's, yeah, he's a, and he he's was on a mission. Night. Yeah, I agree, and and I think a lot of people feel like you can't be that exuberant or you can't look at life like that because they don't look at life that way. And I, right, I just right. I think uh, and again, this is man. I don't know. From the outside looking in, I think he has a, a extremely strong religious faith. I think yes. he, he believes that all things are, I wouldn't say planned out, but all things are going to be what they're going to be because there's a grand plan for him. And right. uh, I think he firmly believes that he was put on this earth to drive race cars and go as mm-hmm. fast as he can. And and he he has, if, if, if that's what he was put on this earth to do, then he's going to have full belief that he can do that as good or better than anyone else who's ever done it. Yep. When I had my picture taken with him yesterday, I go, hey, I want to thank you for what you did for us. We are a team. I want to thank you because you're the one that got that checkered flag. I appreciate very much the ring. His dreams come true. And God bless you. He goes, if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't be here. And um, I take that. I take that all in heart right there. Hey, I, I do have one because you are a super fan of the sport. Has a car ever won with a zero in front of the number before? I don't, I don't think know. it has. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so either. It has. And uh, that might be a, a nice trivia question for Donald Davidson. But, you know, I have to bring this up too. Um, all the years they said green was bad luck in Gasoline Alley or in the pits at Indy. You didn't have green. You didn't have green clothes on, whatever. And I told Donald one day, I go, you know, no one's ever said this, but everyone had bad luck at Indy since 1914, but somebody had to win. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, since 1914, the garages were painted green and white. <laughs> That's right. And no true. one ever said anything about that. And uh, because you had to put the car in the garage, so that means your yeah. car had bad luck, but somebody won the 500. No, that's so, a great point. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. So it happened. How did you, how did you feel the first time you had to wear that um, pink crew, sh- crew shirt? Uh, you know, I always loved drag racing, and Ron <laughs> Leong came out yeah. many years ago with the first Dayglow colors that, just like Granatelli, his T-shirts were always a hot pink or hot yellow right. and with the the flowers and everything. And I wore those things. Like when I'd go to see my parents, we'd wear them to the Texas State Fair, and everyone goes, I love your shirt. I wear – a lot of times I'll wear a pink bandana to keep the sweat out of my eyes, kind of like the guy that worked for Paul Newman in the movie Winning. And <laughs> uh, But I'd put that bandana on, 
and everyone says, I love your pink bandana, especially the women. It attracted the women. But uh, uh, so, yeah, it's uh, anything that's flashing different. Yeah. Working with Scotty Brayton, when we had the we had the Amway car, that car was beautiful. And Scotty's like, it's not pink, it's red. Man, eh, it's pink, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was definitely pink. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just, plus it goes good with my skin. You don't know if I'm burnt up or not from the sun. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if only, if only you could see Scott right now. He kind of looks like Rudolph. Yeah, my, well, nose is, I, my nose is lit up, man. I, I think I was with Michael Jackson at Burger Death, uh, bobbing for apples in the deep fryer, my face. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, How pink it is. Yeah, I was out, I was spotting for uh, Shane Hollingsworth, a little 500. And between that, being out in the sun there, and then being out in the sun on Sunday, it, I got used up pretty good by the sun. It may not have been hot, oh, yeah. but man, that sun was out. Absolutely, it was. It, it was it seemed a little toastier for some reason. Yeah. Well, Scott, again, congratulations! Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on our show, and we are Absolutely. going to have an epic conversation with you someday because you have some amazing stories. And I follow all the politicians, so it's all true. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Sounds great. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Scott. You're welcome. Have a great evening, guys. <laughs>